Welcome back. I'm Brett Harris. This is God Knows Where. We've got one more episode today on the topic of love as a response to Jesus' call to us to follow him and what he did and didn't say about that. If you're a parent and you listen to this podcast with your kids, I just wanted to give you a heads up that today's episode deals with sex, so you may want to give it a listen first to see where it goes before you decide if they're ready to hear it. Today's episode is one of my meager attempts to figure out how to teach my own kids about love and intimacy in age-appropriate ways and when the time is right. You may have lots of thoughts about this, whether it's about what I say or, or what your own thoughts might be about this whole conversation. So if so, share them. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. I love hearing your thoughts about the podcast in general. And so don't forget, if you're liking what you've been hearing, I'd love for you to leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen. Those reviews help other people find the show. So thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. I hope you enjoy today's episode, Consummate Respect. It's hard to talk about love in any of its forms as a response to our decision to follow Jesus without eventually talking about intimacy. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're curious about each other, if we're honest with each other, that will lead on some level, to intimacy with each other. It's not always going to be romantic. I would say that I have an intimate connection with my longtime childhood and college friends because of the time we've spent together and the stories we've shared and the experiences we've had together, the ups and downs we've navigated together throughout our lives. There's nothing romantic about it, but it is intimate. And loving each other, trying to love each other the way Jesus loves us, should naturally lead to some intimate connections. From time to time, in certain situations, those connections may become romantic. But while intimacy may lead to romance, it also might not. And that's why, as Jesus talks about love and how we love each other, and as he approaches the few questions or conversations he enters about intimate romantic connections, he focuses almost entirely on one thing. Respect. Self-respect, emotional respect, respect for others whether it's romantic or platonic, but especially if it becomes romantic. Our love should flow from a sense of honesty and curiosity and respect. This is the example Jesus offers us. When he's asked about the breakdown of relationships and the possible grounds for a marriage to end in divorce in Matthew, and when he steps in between a woman accused of adultery and the men accusing her in John's gospel, his responses aren't grounded in physical acts, or experiences. They are grounded in the breakdown of intimacy between two people, two people who are supposed to be united, and the lack of respect one partner has shown for the other, or the lack of respect they each have for themselves. He goes to the roots, not the fruits. He talks about relationships, not consummating them. And yet, In the church, when we talk about intimacy, that the intimacy that grows out of our love for one another, we do the exact opposite. When it comes to talking about how the love we have for each other that grows out of our honesty with and our curiosity about each other, then it grows into romance and intimacy, we get hung up on one thing all the time. Sex. 
I mean, look at what's led our denominations and congregations and associations to split up over the years. Look at what drives so many of the statements of faith and the statements that come out of them. They say as much about what we believe about sex as they do about what we believe about Jesus and our faith. And this doesn't even get into the scandals within the church that we all know about, that we are all upset about, that have destroyed countless lives. It's all about sex, about when it's acceptable, when it's not, with whom it's acceptable and whom it isn't, those who value their desire over another person's consent. Even if we don't like to talk about it, sex is a part of just about every conversation we have in the church. That's partly because sex is everywhere. What used to be hidden behind closed doors or was kept behind the counter and covered with brown paper sleeves or was unimaginable to us because every couple we saw on TV slept in separate twin beds and we all knew that babies just came from storks. All of that is now just a click away. You can type into whatever device you have around you right now and access all manner of images and videos you may or may not want to see. George Carlin made famous the seven words you can't say on television, but there is nothing you can't put on the internet. All you have to do is to be able to type. And the digital natives in our lives, those who have only ever lived in an internet, smartphone, online world, they're learning how to type a lot earlier than you or I ever did. But that's not the only reason. While sex is everywhere, we're not supposed to talk about it. Good Christians don't talk about sex. Be honest. You thought a lot about what I said in that introduction. You may be even turning the volume down right now as you're listening to it. We are not supposed to talk about sex. At least that's the world that I grew up in. And I think that's why so many of us end up either not knowing anything until it's too late or learning way too much, way too soon. And in both cases, we don't give ourselves the tools or the language we need to make healthy decisions for ourselves and for others. The way sex consumes our conversations, our conventions, our conferences, the direction of the church, it comes from our inability to talk about it. Our inability to talk about it as adults with adults or our inability or discomfort in talking about it with our kids. The rigid rights and wrongs that we've established in relation to it as well and and the ways we've ignored or overlooked Jesus's emphasis on respect. The only thing Jesus was rigid about in his response was our responsibility to the people we love, our responsibility to ourselves and to the relationships that we build with each other. He was only strict about our responsibility, that when we love someone, that we are supposed to respect them and value them and value that connection we've made with them. That's because if our relationships are grounded not in right and wrong, not in what is or isn't taboo or socially acceptable, but rather in respect, our relationships will be healthy and holy. There'll be no way to break them apart. We'll never go looking for our worth in someone else's response. If we learn at an early age to have a healthy sense of respect for ourselves, we won't need to seek approval or emotional connection anywhere we can find it. If we can learn to respect others and their perspectives and their emotions and their bodies from an early age, 
We will build beautiful relationships with each other that value our connection to other people, not our consumption of them. And that's why when I wrote about chastity and the Lenten God I shared with those of you following on Instagram, I said it's about much more than libido. Chastity at its most basic level is about respect. The respect we have for others and the respect we have for ourselves. And Jesus puts that on full display in John with the woman and her accusers holding those stones ready to fling them at her. He first shows respect to these accusers. He listens to them. He considers their interpretation of their shared tradition, and then he forces them to wrestle with whether or not it's a respectful one. His response to the Pharisees forces them quite literally to respect the woman, to look at her again, and to look at themselves, to consider what's going on beyond what took place where they found her, maybe even to wonder why they hadn't also dragged her partner out with her. And as they leave one by one, aware of their own shortcomings and mistakes and unable to see how theirs were any different from hers, Jesus shows great respect, maybe greater respect toward this woman. He asks her, has no one condemned you? Where have they gone? And that reminds her that no one is better than her and that she is no worse than anyone else. And his statement, his unwillingness to condemn her as well, that's his way of telling her that she, alone, on her own, just as God made her, is worthy and good and deserving of respect. No man, no relationship, no physical act can make her more worthy than she already is as a child of God. That's been true since the day of her birth. That's been true since the day of our birth, too. It's easy to forget, though, but we've got to do all we can, each and every one of us. We've got to do everything that we can, everything in our power, to remember and to remind one another that we are worthy just as God made us. And when we start searching for the person we want to spend our life with, we need to find someone who believes that, too. But before we find them, before we begin to look for them, before we decide that we maybe don't need to find that person after all, we have to first believe this about ourselves, that we are worthy of respect. And this is where the challenge comes to us. Elizabeth and I are raising two boys. Some of you are raising boys or girls or boys and girls. Some of you have nieces and nephews or grandsons and granddaughters. Some of you have friends and classmates and teammates, and most of us are a part of a community that has agreed to care for and nurture and build each other up in the confidence that above all else, we are children of God, that God calls us good, and therefore, we are worthy of respect. If we can do that, if we can instill that belief in ourselves, in our children, in the people around us in our lives, if we can do that instead of avoiding the conversations that make us uncomfortable or that we think we're not supposed to talk about, if we can do that instead of focusing on what we can see, instead of what we want to nurture, if we can instill in our children and in each other that we are worthy, that they don't need to do anything or be anybody or be with anybody to find their sense of worth, then we will build a world for them 
where they don't have to sneak around or fear who will judge them or believe that only by being with someone else will they find happiness or pleasure. That's the world Jesus rebuilds for the woman in John. That's why he focuses on respect, not sex. And that's why we need to, too. Love is honest. It's curious. It's respectful. It values connection over consumption. Our love must respect and value our companions above all else. Because without that, there is no love. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It will mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.